if I didn't address the fact that all of you have a letter in your bulletin calling an extraordinary general meeting. It would be foolish of me not to give you the opportunity to hear my heart, because last time I checked, I'm still your pastor, and I do that with great joy, regardless of the circumstances, which is a great privilege to be. But I want to let you know a few things of our responsibility as a church family as we deal with issues that are sometimes out of our control. Because guess what? We will always face issues that are outside of our control, regardless of how much we like to micromanage. Hey, micro is in my name, micros. I want to control everything. Eh, See, I got you. But our response, our disposition... And our light in times of confusion, pain, and discouragement is a tremendous opportunity to show the world who God has transformed us to be. So I want to give you a perspective. This is sermon number one. You're going to get two for the price of one today. Uh, And the first one is really simple. When you're faced with issues like we are, where suddenly our budget has to undergo a (laughs) massive transformation if we are to continue forward the way we currently do things, and remember, these are if statements, but to do so, it requires us to change and to adapt, Uh, and it's not easy. It would require great faith. It would require us going into a position that as a leader, I'm not always comfortable leading us toward, and that's a position of financial insecurity. Uh, You know, a a board doesn't want to lead toward known insolvency. And so it came with great challenge that the the under-shepherds and the governing committee wrestled with what is most important. When I was recruited to come to AIC 12 years ago, one of our elders then in our... uh, consulting elders now looked at me and he said, we look forward to the day when we will partner with Christian Alliance International School on the same site and minister to the families and to the global community that God brings in through that connection. 12 years on, that vision has not changed, okay? Understand that, that the politics that you read about right there have nothing to do with God, as far as we know, continues to lead us forward toward working together for his glory in partnership with Christian Alliance International School. You with me? That wasn't convincing, but let's move forward. We'll continue to pray about it. However, as we do so, there are times when decisions are made that are difficult. That's what you read in the letter. Now, I want to invite you into a couple things. I want you to know that the governing committee and the under-shepherds of AIC are committed to being transparent with you. If you have questions, ask them, please. Come see me, and I will do my very best to answer them. If you are a GC member, would you stand up for a minute? I want you to know who you can talk to. I know there's more than three of us here. There we go. There's another one. King, you're, you're a GC member. There we go. Okay. A few of them are upstairs or around. There we go. Thank you. If you have a question, we are ready and eager to help in any way we can. At the least, we can pray with you and we can explain how we've come to find ourselves in this position. Okay? Then, 
I invite you to keep praying with us. If you'd like to ask a question but don't quite know how to do so, uh, hopefully by the end of the service today I can put up a QR code. All you got to do is show your phone up to that and it'll send you to a link where you can just type in your question on a form and we'll get those. And if you'd like to be contacted ahead of time, we'll do that. If you'd like to have that question answered at the extraordinary general meeting, we'll answer it then uh, as best we can with the information we have. But in all of this, This is the important part because this is God's word. This is how we, AIC, will respond. And this is not, therefore, an invitation for you to have back conversations with each other, to be judgmental, to be critical, and to be gossips. You understand me? That's called slander and it's unbiblical. And I, as your pastor, won't do it and I won't let you do it. I'm disappointed in the circumstance we find ourselves in but I'm thrilled with the opportunity we have to show the world a better way to live. And that's where I'm choosing to camp out. And I'm praying that every one of you will come with me. Why? Because when I get to Ephesians chapter four, I see the muscles of community I am called to flex. I taught this to the Men for God ministry, oh gee, six years ago. And it's still true today. And it goes like this. As you, as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul writes, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We are all called to be God's disciples, followers of Jesus Christ for God the Father's glory through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And as such, this is how we're going to respond to everything that the world brings by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do this on my own. It's been a hard week. But with God's power, we can be completely humble. And we will be. And we will submit all of this before the Lord. You, you with me? It's God's. It's not our problem. And we will act in a manner according to his word. Second, we're called to be gentle. Oh, then it gets a little more personal. It's a difficult thing when we find ourselves in positions like these. But we will respond with the gentleness. The better word there, the word that's said of Jesus, is meekness. Our strength that we have received by the power of the Holy Spirit will be brought under control by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we respond to situations, as we go through this process, I'm not getting run over. As we go through this process, we will let the Lord's strength guide us His humility lead us, and our responses follow the example of Christ, our Savior. We will be patient as these situations, like many that are going to come throughout the next life of the church as we go forward, we will be patient knowing that God continues to work, and he'll let us in in as much as he sees fit to let us know of at the time that we are confident that he continues to use broken and corrupt situations to bring glory to himself. That requires patience and faith. And finally, we're going to bear with one another in love. If we go forward, if AIC, a church family, decides to ratify the recommendation of both the governing committee and the under-shepherds, it will require great faith and it will require great patience. It will require humility and meekness and generosity because it's the only way it can work. And if we do that, we're going to walk that road together. And if we don't do it, we're going to walk that road together, no matter what, okay? So as you read through that letter, that's not even a letter, it's a notice of extraordinary general meeting, 
we tried to give you all the information that's relevant. But as you do, pray through it with humility, with meekness that only God can provide, with patience and together. And I encourage you to spur each other on to seek the Lord in this time of uncertainty for AIC. If you have questions, please, by all means, ask them. Don't keep them to yourself. Don't assume the worst. Let us seek out the opportunity God has given us together to trust him to work in ways that are beyond our wildest imaginations. Let's pray. Lord, we lay before you the situation AIC finds itself in currently, and we lay before you the calling that you have called us to, to bring glory to your name. So as over the next two weeks, we carefully pray about how you would lead us forward as a church family. Lord, please shape our hearts. Draw us closer to you in this process that we may not take a single step outside of your will and that we are confident whatever you lead us to that we know we are going right where you have called us. Lord, we pray your protection upon those that we are working together with from KTAC to Christian Alliance International School to all sorts of different other factors. Lord, may we together point toward Jesus Christ and make much of our great name, of your great name throughout. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Again, ask questions. Talk together in love and in gentleness and in kindness. And let's see what God might do. Um, Just a note for upstairs, I can't control the presentation, so hopefully you guys are listening well. Now, let's move on and take out your sermon notes because we're going to cover something that I have been excited about over the past few months. And it's the idea of this time of year for anybody that's ever been a student and the amount of stress that it brings. Because you're coming to the end of the school year. If you're a primary student, you're upstairs, so you're not hearing this, but you just finished your exams. If you're a secondary student, oh boy, they're coming. And it's that time of year. If you go to school out of this country, you've already done with school and we are jealous of you. But when you go through this process, you go through the concept of revision. Remembering what you've learned and preparing to be tested on it, right? You remember that from your days in school? You had to revise everything and try to remember it for the exam uh, because you'd forgotten it the minute you heard it. And so you had to come back around. Well, for the next three weeks, we're going to revise who we are as a church family. We're not changing it. We already know. The vision that God has given us has not changed. (laughs) But sometimes we forget why we're going through this life and in such a way. And it's instructive for us to remember his word and that his word has been relevant from the very beginning and continues to be relevant. And so today we're going to look at the life and just a couple of verses that are so telling. We're going to look at the life of Noah. Most of us instantly get to Noah and think, and actually I put the wrong scriptures, we're actually really going to camp out 9 through 11 of Genesis 6 but you needed the context of what comes first. Because most of us think about Noah in context of one thing mainly. Any guesses? The ark and the flood. One, 
We know that as you read through chapter 6, Noah was invited to be an inventor. We often forget that. As far as we know throughout global world civilization history, nothing like an ark had ever existed. So not only was Noah told to build a giant boat, but he was told to build something that he had no mental picture of, no framework of what it might look like. I am neither an engineer or, nor an architect, but I'm pretty confident that this long ago, B.C., Noah wasn't scrapping things out on graph paper and using AutoCAD to make sure the measurements lined up. He was working very carefully by obeying what the Lord had done and called him to. Why? Because of what you find in verses 5 through 8. And I think verses 5 through 8 are more telling today than maybe ever before in human history, other than this point. Listen carefully what the world was wrestling with. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The world had looked at God and run away from him. And every inclination of their heart was to do evil rather than good, to choose themselves over the Lord. And we move ahead all these thousands of years and we find ourselves looking at the state of, let's say, geopolitics, of the states of our cultures from wherever we might find ourselves. We find that many of you who call the Philippines your home country know that one of your islands is on martial law lockdown right now. Or maybe it's been released by now, but uh, it's been this process of painful protectionism trying to figure out what's going wrong in Mindanao. My home country makes news for all the wrong reasons seemingly every day right now, and I'm not making any more editorial comments on that. You can read the papers and hear that. Our neighbors to the north that are in control of us in many ways have made decisions that we question and we wonder, can they be trusted? We look around and we've seen terror attacks here and there from Syria to London to all sorts of other places. And we wonder, what in the world is gone wrong? And it can always be brought back to one thing. The inclination and thoughts of the human heart have grown more and more evil and more and more focused against God all the time. Governments make decisions to put God further and further away and then wonder why the consequences of their action are so disastrous. It can be very, very discouraging to live in a time like this if we're not careful. You can open up any newspaper you read from, you know, each week I try to look at a newspaper from Australia, from the UK, a few from America, and obviously the ones I can read from here and often it feels very gloomy, right? But God has a plan. And I'm here to tell you that God can work in ways that are beyond the corruption of man. You see, we're told right away that the sinful patterns of the world had become continuous. This is on the next slide if you're with me. Uh, that if you look at your notes... A corrupt world must not cause us to lose sight of the vision and grace of God, okay? That's where we start. 
The world is corrupt. I am not going to defend corrupt practices. I can't. It's called sinful behavior is corruption. And it's happening all around us. But it must not cause us to lose sight of the vision and the grace of God. Because he is bigger. What do I mean by that? Well, as you look, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were evil all the time. Sin is continuous. It continues on. Apart from the redemptive, redeeming work of Jesus Christ, sin will grow. Have any of you ever been sick? Yeah. Um, Then the second question, some of you might be married and have a spouse that loves you. And in the process of your sickness, you have gotten to that point where you realize that your own strength and willpower is not going to heal you. You ever been there? But yet, you have in no way called a doctor or sought professional help. You've just continued to take any pill you can find over the counter, or you've drunk lots and lots of water or whatever remedy you can find and hoped for the best. And the process continues. And oddly enough, you wonder, why am I not getting better? I need help. And at some point in this process, your loving spouse lovingly looks at you and says, I have made a doctor's appointment for you. Go now or I will drag you there. We need help. Sometimes we just can't save ourselves. And by the way, please don't think that I'm accusing you of being stubborn. That one is all about me. Because I am told time and again to go to the doctor when I don't want to. But I thought maybe some others of you could relate. The world we find ourselves in in Genesis chapter 6 was a world in need of a doctor, but they decided we don't need him. They decided to chase the ways of their heart rather than the ways of God. And the ways of their heart had been darkened by sin. You see, sin infects us like an infection that grows. Not treated, it gets worse. It's the very nature of infection. It spreads, it's contagious, it's disgusting. That's a a well-done and clear example of sin that we've all been taught throughout our days in Awana, Sunday school, and anything. But... How we respond to the corruption we see in the world lets the world know there's a better way. That together with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will respond with meekness, with humility, with patience, with gentleness and self-control. You see, because even in this, even in the corruption that Noah was living in, we find ourselves in a unique point That continuous sin that continues to grow here indicates that we're dealing with two elements. One, the people were planning on sinning. Everything about the the world that at that time, the Hebrew word there indicates that it was premeditated. They had chosen to run away from God fully and knowledgeably, and they were scheming. But not only that, it was the very thoughts of their mind and the inclinations of their heart. The sin had grown and hardened their very spirits. So they were thinking about sinning and it was growing and hardening their hearts more and more, leaving them in a total corrupt place. Running away from God leads to a hardened heart that will grow darker and darker and darker. 
And although James Montgomery Boyce says it this way, and you'll see it on the slide, although the people can appear to be quite good to us and to many, in fact, even though they seem good and they might actually do some good things, they fail to please God. Our very creation calls us to please God, that that's the best way to live. Every inclination was to do evil all the time. And we can look around our world and think, man, that's where we find ourselves living today. What do I mean? Well, let's think about it like this. On the 22nd of May, 2017, at around 10.30 p.m. in Manchester, England, uh, or you could say it the proper British way, and I will concede to you, a suicide bomber detonated an improvised explosive device packed with nuts and bolts to act as shrapnel. In the foyer area of the Manchester Arena, this attack took place at the end of a concert that was marketed and filled largely with teenagers and preteens. This target was intentional to hurt those that couldn't defend themselves. I am not personally an Ariana Grande fan. Sorry. However, I've been immensely compelled to watch her response, and those that have walked with her over the next two weeks. And again, I'm not making editorials on her personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know her. I've never met her. My knowledge of her has been only on TV. But I've been compelled to watch closely as she responds to the fact that 22 people lost their life and over 70 more were in intensive care. Uh, And at the, the time of the article that I read, 23 of them we're still in critical care uh, as of the end of May. Ten people that were killed were under the age of 20, and one was an eight-year-old. How do we respond to corruption like that? Well, often the church, historically, has had this tendency to throw stones and to get very, very aggressive. And so it's been telling to me to watch how Manchester, Ariana Grande, and a whole lot of famous people decided to respond. Now, I don't want to question the motives. Obviously, it was good press for a lot of the right people. But the BBC got behind this, along with Ariana Grande, who had immediately canceled her tour and said, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. After a few days, she thought more. And her agent tells the story that she called her agent and said, please get everyone you can together. Let's go back. She didn't run away. She ran toward the pain. And she tried in a humanistic way to show the world there's a better way. And so the BBC got together with her and they held a concert. It was an epically long concert, I believe four or five hours long in Manchester on June 4th at the direction of Ariana Grande with some of the most famous musicians and performers in the world. And Manchester was invited to respond differently. And they called the concert One Love for Manchester, which I thought was interesting. Because we, the church, get very, very up in arms about all the things we're against, that we forget to invite people back to the grace and justice and mercy and truth of God our Father through the person of Jesus Christ. Yet here's a group of performers that said, we're going to come together to try to show the world that there's a better way to live. Now, they missed the point about following Jesus, 
But the first performer of the day, one of my favorites, is a man named Marcus Mumford. Again, as far as I know, not a believer in Jesus Christ. But I'd like you to watch how he opened the day. And then I'll read to you the words he sang. So go ahead. Let's not be afraid. Cold is the water, it freezes your already cold mind, already cold, cold mind. And death is at your doorstep, and it may steal your in will not steal your substance but you are not alone in this and you are not alone in this together we will stand and we'll hold your hand hold your hand Interesting what he says, and such a telling reminder for those of us in Christ. I long for the day where I can sit down with Marcus Mumford and have a conversation because it sure sounds like he's close to knowing Jesus. He's not there yet, but listen to these words again. Death is at your doorstep, and it will steal your innocence. By the way, that's sin. It takes away our innocence, but it will not steal our substance. That's a scriptural... It's a scripture reference to the fact that we are, those in Christ are made alive, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He doesn't understand that yet, but he does understand we are not alone in this. He's talking about humanity, but for the Christian, it goes deeper than that. It's not humanity. It's, is Noah faced the fact that there were eight people that were going to survive this flood? Noah had to know that he was not alone in this, that God would guide and direct him, or else he wouldn't have obeyed. He wouldn't have built the ark. We know Noah obeyed one of the most confusing commands in all the Bible, right up there with Hosea commanded to marry a prostitute, build an ark, invent an ark, and get ready for the rain that's not coming yet because you haven't seen any, but it's coming. Just imagine how ludicrous that sounded. Why Noah in the midst of all this corruption? Because in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 6, we get this little glimpse. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And when we read that in the NIV, it confuses us because it sounds like God picked a favorite favorite and said, go for it, man. But actually, when you translate the word, and as it's often translated, in fact, 38 other times in the Old Testament, that word favor is grace. Noah found grace in the midst of darkness and corruption and pain and suffering god reached down to noah and gave the free gift of life the waters were coming but noah found grace he didn't earn it it was given 
Sound familiar? (laughs) Remember how I tell you that biblical theology is hugely important because all of God's word points to Jesus Christ? Noah found grace. Wherever you find yourself today, look back to the person of Jesus, to the vision, the ravishing glory of Jesus Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And know that God has always been at work. Sometimes it's very painful. I don't understand how God came to the conclusion of knowing that the only thing he could do was to flood the earth. But it was the just and right thing to do. But in that, he graciously saved eight people. Did they deserve it? No. But we see the character of God in the midst of that, that God is a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in compassion. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we want him to strike the evil down. You ever feel that way? Come on, God, be more like Zeus. Bring the lightning, bring the thunder, and let's deal with some stuff. But then when it comes to us and our struggles and our baggage, we're like, God, please wait. Please wait, please, 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 please wait. And we claim a whole lot of God's grace for ourselves. And here we find a man named Noah that found grace and placed his hope in God alone. How do I know he placed his hope in God alone? Same thing, logical conclusion. He built the ark. He doesn't do that without faith because there was no, there was no preemptive indication. There was no sign that says, hmm, I've been thinking about maybe trying to build an ark and collecting one or two of every kind of animal all over the world. We don't see any indication that that was ahead of time. It was all God. God's grace in bringing the animals into the ark. No matter how good a man Noah was, I don't think he was the greatest animal tamer to ever live. Had to be God's grace at work had to be God working in powerful ways. Noah first had to submit to where God was leading him, enjoying the grace of God and deliverance. Sin had to be dealt with, and God dealt with it voraciously. He completely reset the clock and gave people a chance through eight people, starting with the patriarch of Noah. The interesting thing here is that while we see indications of God's grace even before this, this is the first time in the Bible it's mentioned in this way, that this is the first appearance of grace mentioned in the Bible. Noah finding grace. He didn't earn it. He was willing, he seemingly was willing to accept sins, accept judgment on his sinful and rebellious nature and place his hope in the Savior, in the saving nature of God. It's the same today. We don't have a claim on God. We can't earn our way to him. We, just like the people back then, have earned wrath and destruction. But God provides another way, just as he did for Noah. What else do we learn about Noah? We learn that he was a righteous man. And that can be... um, Well, it could be a little tricky for us to think about because we think that if we're righteous, we've got to be perfect. And yet all the times we struggle and we wonder, how do I get through this? But if Noah has found grace, we understand that it's grace that leads to righteousness, not righteousness that leads to grace. And there is a monumental difference between the two. So let me explain. God's riches at the expense of Christ Jesus. Yes, that's an acronym, grace. 
allows us and invites us to the opportunity to live as Jesus has lived. Invites us to live a righteous life, empowered by the free gift of grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit we have been given at the moment of salvation. Okay? The righteous lives we lead are indicative. They are a demonstration of our depending on the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to help us to live in a corrupt world. Grace gets us to that point. Grace leads us to righteousness. If we think that righteousness leads us to grace, then we're earning our own salvation. And we've missed the point. Then we can fix ourselves without God because we're already righteous. But Romans teaches me pretty clearly that there's no one righteous, no, not one. So we need a different way. (laughs) And that way is grace through Jesus Christ who paid the price who suffered the flood of death, the sting of death, but he rose victoriously over it once for all and had new life. Can you imagine the emotions of Noah coming out of that ark when he finally saw land for the first time? How must he have felt knowing that it's a whole new life? And it was his chance to walk faithfully with the Lord. He didn't always do it. He made some bad decisions with alcohol. He made some bad decisions with his relatives. And that again shows us that God uses broken people because I'm not gonna cover up. I love God's word because it doesn't cover up the fact that humanity continues to choose themselves over God, but God still works and invites people home. Again, remember Hosea and that study. But what we do learn about Noah up to this point is he walked faithfully with the Lord. Verse, I believe it's 8, just says that, that he walked faithfully with God. Verse 9, Noah was faithful. What do I mean by that? Well, W.B. Riley, old-timey writer, uh, used to tell the story of a man uh, who had walked the streets of Philadelphia searching for employment. One day, he happened to go into the office of a well-known businessman by the name of Gerard. When he asked for a job, Mr. Gerard answered, yep, I can give you work. See that pile of bricks out there? Carry them over to the other end of the yard and stack them up. By nightfall, the man reported that the project was completed and received his pay. When asked if there would be more work the next day, his employer said, yes, come in tomorrow and carry those same bricks back to where you found them. Seriously? That's our first response, right? Why? The following morning, he came in early and got busy without a word. For more than a week, he was instructed to carry the bricks back and forth until it was evident that he could be trusted to do exactly what he was told. Ooh, I might see where this is going now. Then he was given a new and a bigger responsibility to go downtown and to bid on a large quantity of sugar. Not recognizing him, the people at the auction were surprised by the bid of this total stranger. When it was accepted, the auctioneer asked who would pay the bill. Mr. Gerard, the man replied, I'm his agent. He had earned this position by being faithful in a menial task. Scriptures say to whom much is given, much is received or expected. And it is only after we have received freely the gift of grace that we are open to be used by God and called to be faithful with the tasks that he has given us. And as we are faithful, we are invited to follow him deeper, deeper, and deeper still to wherever he might lead. 
whether it's Jim Elliott that was talked about this morning going to the Quechua Indians or Amy Carmichael faced with orphans and no support from anyone or Jackie Pullinger going into the most dangerous part of all of Hong Kong and saying, I've got good news. When we understand we have been called and set apart and we will be faithful with the job we've been given, God continues to stretch us, to shape us, and to lead us. Noah preached righteousness because not only do we know that he was faithful, but Peter tells us that the dude preached it. He was trying to tell other people. We don't know... What exactly he said, we don't have an account of his sermon, but what we can infer from everything the scriptures tell was that Noah was not only faithful, but he lived out the truth. He pointed people back to God. Peter tells us so clearly, and Hebrews talks about Noah being faithful, that here was a man that didn't just say, I believe, but lived it. Again, do you wonder what I mean? The guy built an ark, a hundred meters long, and put a bunch of animals on it, and lived through it, and got out, and was used to repopulate the earth. I don't understand half of why God chose to do it in that way, and I don't think Noah did either. But he knew one thing that we must never forget. When God calls, we obey. It really is that simple. When God calls, we obey. How could we ever dream of following like Noah did or Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, Jackie Pullinger? Uh, The list goes on and on, so many before us. Well, Listen to what Jesus had to say. John 7, 37 says that on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty, again, this theme of water, consistent throughout the scriptures, referring to cleansing and purification, whether it be by flood or by baptism as a representation of what God has done. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You know why I love that verse? Because it reminds me that it's not up to me to know how to handle what God brings me next. I have no idea how the next two weeks are going to play out. And I've got to tell you, I am doing my very best to put a brave face forward as we walk through this unknown territory as a church family. But it's my family. And it's hard. And I don't understand how we got to this point because we have been faithful as a church family. I'm convinced of that. And we will be transparent and we will be above reproach. We will make mistakes. Please don't get me wrong. We're not perfect. But we will continue to pursue the Lord and his glory in all situations. But we can't do it on our own. We can't provide miraculously. We don't have a money tree growing right out here that we can just go plop off from. Say, all better. We do have the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts that points us to trust Him, that promises us that He will lead us exactly where we're supposed to go. And however He decides to work this out, He will be glorified. Right, church? Wow, I think we can do better than that. This is a difficult situation, but God will be glorified. Amen? Amen. Why? Because he's God and we're not. He already sees how it plays out. And he already knows that all things work together for his good, for the glory 
for, see my memory's going in my old age, what's going to happen when I hit 40? <laughs> I've seriously lost it. Look it up, it's Romans 8. All things work to the, for the good of those who seek him. Yes, and I can't say it out loud because I can't remember. Romans 8, 28. Come on, let's look it up. It's that important that I'm going to stop our message halfway through and remind us of who we trust in this journey we have together. We are more than conquerors, by the way, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We have been called. You know how I know that? Because we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you've called on the name of the Lord, you have been called to be light in a dark world. You have been called to love God and love others. That is unquestionable. You have been called to meekness, to humility, to patience, to bearing with one another. You've been called to unity, to community together because we know that God's word is true and it's as useful today as it was for Paul when he wrote that call and as for Noah when he heard the call of God. And we will follow So how do we respond? We've been given living water, powerful, cleansing, and alive. We have the Holy Spirit. And that is a truth that the world cannot take away. He is with us every step of this journey. So I want you to revise your vision. It would be easy to be discouraged. It would be easy to say we can't God can't, no, 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 whatever situation you find yourself in. And oh, in this room, there are so many stories. So let me tell you the only story that matters. God is with us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he will lead us to green pastures beside still waters because he is our shepherd. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Sometimes that means discipline. A staff can be used as a disciplinary tool. Just ask a shepherd. (laughs) And sometimes it can be painful. But we will seek the Lord and we will do it together and our vision will always be toward him. So how do we finish? Well, look at how Noah lived. Noah found grace. Noah was God's preacher. Noah walked faithfully with God. And Noah was righteous, not perfect. Others would have seen him as different. Others wouldn't know how to deal with him because he dared stand forth for truth. And they would have mocked him. Ha ha, look at what you're building. We don't even know what it is, you fool. But God had bigger plans. AIC is under the authority of God Almighty. And he has plans for each one of us as we follow him. So how will we respond as we revise our local vision, I'm calling it, our global, our local, and our personal vision? We will walk with him. Jesus tells us how to do this really simply. Seek me first, and all these things shall be added unto you. We're going to seek him in all things. How are we going to do that as a church family? Well, one, I already know you're praying because you love Jesus. But on June 14th, we have invited you to a day of prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord together as the family of God, that he will guide us and that he will be glorified through this process. So please join us in that. Second, 
We will live in grace. We will enjoy the grace we've been provided and we will offer it freely to those that don't deserve it. Why? Because God is a God of grace and we didn't deserve it and Noah didn't deserve it, but we are called to be his light in a dark world. So we will give his grace away. We will love justice. We will seek mercy. We will seek justice. We will love mercy. And we will walk humbly with our God. The scriptures are consistent throughout of how we respond in difficult situations. And we will obey his word. We will not look to the ways of man. We will look to the ways of God. And we will obey. And it might require stepping out in faith saying, I don't know. We don't like those words very much, do we? Causes us to lose face. Causes us to be embarrassed. Causes us to be uncomfortable. But yet the scriptures tell us time and again, follow me. I'll tell you just what you need to know and not a minute more. We will follow him and obey his word. And along that journey, we have this amazing opportunity to invite others into what the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance loved to call the deeper life. Inviting others not to have fire insurance to believe they're going to heaven, but to live for Jesus Christ in every area of their life with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. And they will love their neighbor as themselves. They will invite their neighbors home to Jesus. By the way, be careful if you go to your neighbor and say, I want to invite you home, because if you say that wrong, it sounds like you're going to kill them. Please don't do that. Please remind them that you're invited to a life of hope and eternal security in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We are a church that will walk with God, that we will live in his grace. Grace has found us. We'll obey his word and we're inviting everybody to come with us on the journey. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's get in the business of making sure all are invited to call in the name of the Lord. Lord, you are good and your faithful love endures forever. Please find us faithful with the words you have given AIC for such a time as this. Thank you for those that have gone before us and those that will follow. May they be blessed by the example that you use in our lives to deal with difficult circumstances such as these. For this, we have Jesus. Amen. For a closing song, I'd like us to stand again, please.